Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with another exclusive episode for our premium members of The Yacking Show. But first, let me introduce co-host Kathleen from down the road in Waterloo, Ontario. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you for that introduction. We always have interesting guests who are experts in their field for our premium members, and today is no exception. We are so privileged to welcome back Ken Cook, who is the co-founder of The Prepared Group. It's a strategy-first marketing consultancy that transforms marketing service providers providers into trusted marketing advisors. Uh, they've created a system that gives marketing uh, marketers a roadmap to help increase business revenue. Ken was a previous guest, and um, if you haven't watched that episode, I really do urge you to go ahead and, and watch that. But for the benefit of those who haven't seen you before, Ken, can you give us a little bit about your background before we get started? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I was a philosophy major in, in college. And I uh, so, so I went from, from a cattle farm to a philosophy classroom. And, and so I think that, that kind of my approach to marketing to business is how do we think really clearly and work really hard mm -hmm. kind of blend, blending those two things. And I really believe for most business people, growth primarily comes through how you think first. If you've got bad thinking, if you've got bad up here, you're going to really struggle no matter how hard you work. And I, and I think we've all seen these guys who don't seem to work very hard, but seem to see a ton mm -hmm. of success. And I, and the more I, I spend time with those people, it's because they think so clearly. And, and so that's really what we're trying to bring, bring to the marketing world is how is it that, that you as a business owner can think really, really clearly and carefully about, about what you're doing before you work really hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting very good and i know exactly what you mean when i was in the corporate world we had an accountant in the large corporation i worked for who always had time for everything but got more done than anybody else and, and that was the secret he he thought the right way and the other secret of his was he didn't get involved in things he didn't need to get involved in so very good point but ken i i know when we were talking a little earlier before we started the show you you've got a really interesting presentation and i'm going to drop a teaser here it has something to do with doing unusual things with baseball so over to you take it away <laughs> You know, it's uh, right right now the baseball playoffs are going on and I was I was kind of musing. What would it take for us, for anyone to be able to throw a baseball 100 miles an hour? I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big guy. I was a, a semi-pro fighter, uh, strong, work out regularly. I don't think I, I can throw a baseball 100 miles an hour, mm -hmm. right? And so I started talking to a number of my friends, athletes, and I said, hey, how fast can you throw a baseball? And, and I don't know, maybe 60, 70 miles an hour. And I said, what if, what if I offered you a million dollars for you with your arm to throw a baseball 100 miles an hour? And everybody, he was a really smart guy, he says, you know, Ken, I think that there's less there's, there's, there's less than a hundred people on the planet who can, with their arm, throw a baseball hundred miles an hour. And I said, I think that the problem is with how you're thinking, not with the ability of the vast majority of the human population to throw a baseball hundred miles an hour. And so if we just pause for a second, I'm going to ask you, Kathleen, if I'm going to give you a million dollars right now, for you to throw a baseball 100 miles an hour, what are you going to do to get that ball out of your hand going 100 miles an hour? Well, my first thought would be um, I'd have to practice <laughs> a I, lot. What if you had to do it today? If I had to do it today. You had to do it today. Well, my brain is saying I, pro I can't. Okay. And that's probably the problem, right? Because I, I just... I, it's, you know, it's, it's how you're approaching. It's how you're approaching the problem. Mm -hmm. Peter, what about you? If, if I, oh, I, 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 I had the, I had the luxury of being able to think about it while Kathleen was trying to find an answer. I, I, I could do it today. Okay. I would, I would get on my thoroughbred horse who can do 40 miles an hour 
and I'm a reasonably fit athletic guy who used to play cricket, I could probably throw a ball, baseball at close to 60 miles an hour. So if I threw a baseball at my normal 60 miles an hour from the back of a horse moving at 40 miles an hour, that baseball would hit 100 miles an hour. Oh, that's cheating. Oh, it's not? I don't think it's cheating. What, What if, though, what if, Peter, instead of getting on the back of your horse, you got into your motorized horse? And you got that bad boy going up to 90 miles an hour. And then you only had to yep. throw it at Right? Or better yet, what if you were to climb to the top of a reasonably tall building via an elevator, mm-hmm. walk over to the edge, and plunk it off? That's right. It would take even less effort, but you would get that ball going 100 miles an hour. Because um. it would accelerate at 32 feet per second per second. Correct. So it was two or three floors that's doing 100 miles an hour. Exactly. Yeah. And so here, here's the picture that I want you guys to have with this. There's three different approaches here. Kathleen, you said, well, if I just work hard enough, <laughs> maybe I can get there. But you know what? I don't know that I can work hard enough to accomplish it. Right. And Peter, you said, mm-hmm. you know what? I think I can accomplish this much. And I just need something to fill in the gap. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And what I would submit to you is the best business owners among us say, how can I get something else to do 99% of the work of the work? All I have to do is plunk that baseball off a roof. Right. 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 Yeah. This mm-hmm. I believe is highly illustrative of how most people work in their businesses today. Mm -hmm. Right. It is the natural tendency of us as entrepreneurs, myself included, to muscle through, work harder, right? If I give, if you give it everything you got and you can get that horse going at his top speed, right? In other words, if I can get absolutely perfect conditions, then instead of, let me, let me step back. Let me sharpen the ax. Let me consider what are the necessary things that would have to happen for this to be easy for me to succeed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Success. And this is not me speaking as a guru. This is me speaking as a business person. Okay. If you want Tony Robbins, you can go listen to Tony Robbins. This is not that success should be easy for you as an owner because you have built the system and structure to drive success. If we take an elevator, right? Someone had to invent the elevator. Mm -hmm. I didn't invent it. Someone had to pay for the elevator. I didn't have to pay for it, right? Someone has to pay for the electricity. It wasn't me, right? Someone had to build the building, had to design the building, architect the building, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All I had to do was use what was already there. Correct. Correct. And then take minimal effort myself. And here, here's the thing. I think a lot of times when it comes to business and marketing specifically, we are trying to reinvent the wheel. Yes. We are attempting to say, how in the world can I figure out how this works? Instead of saying, Who's already made this work? How do I piggyback off of their success? Mm -hmm. Said another way. Yes. They're an entire class of of fish, right? The the most interesting one, uh, I believe, is called a a sticky, it's not a cobra, but it kind of sounds like that. uh, um, I can't can't remember the the second name. It's this fish, and the bottom of it is actually sticky. And it will go to Uh. a and it will literally stick itself onto the shark. Right. And then as the shark eats, right, it, it simply opens its mouth and catches the leftovers. It doesn't hunt. No. It doesn't kill. Right? It literally doesn't even swim. It sticks itself to the shark and it lets the, the shark. shark do all the work. And it <laughs> And so, so as we think about these examples, the first question I have for you guys today is in your business right now, today, 
Where are you putting in maximum effort instead of taking advantage of someone else's road, method, platform, system, structure, existing business that would make your life so much easier? Mm -hmm. okay. If you can figure out those places, and there are many for each of our businesses, regardless of what you do, it's then through that, through that strategic thinking that you're actually going to start to see real growth. Okay? Yeah. Because it's no longer about how much time you're spending. I know so many entrepreneurs, and I, I was the most guilty of this. At the height of our agency, we were doing, we had, we had 12 employees, two offices, okay? Seven-figure-plus business. I was working 80 plus hours a week, hmm. right? Now, and I, and by the way, I was taking home four to $5,000 a month, $60,000 a year, 80 hours a week. Doesn't make sense. No, no. But I said, I just got to muscle through. Hmm. And what I would submit to you is what, here's what's interesting. Our business has four employees and each of our employees makes substantively more per person from an income perspective than we ever did before. Mm -hmm. And as owners, we make substantively more, right? And it's not because we have worked harder. I probably... Mm -hmm. If I'm being really honest, I maybe work 30 hours a week. Maybe 40, but probably less. I'm done with work by four o'clock each day. I take my kids to jujitsu every mm -hmm. single day. Right? Mm -hmm. I I enjoy that time. I enjoy being able to be present. And again, I'm not Tony Robbins in people. I'm sim saying that if you can think about your business in a different way, it can produce more with less work. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. okay. And here's the thing. We often think about this from an operations perspective, mm -hmm. right? We say operationally, well, let's not, let's, let's figure out how we delegate more effectively, or let's figure out how do we create a better operational system or a better operational process, right? But what we don't typically do, and very, very few businesses do this, they don't typically think about this from a marketing perspective, okay? And so what I would like to do kind of in, in the last little bit here that we've got is I'd like to walk you guys through a model. Oh, yes, please. And mm. ask, think about eight specific areas of your marketing, at least two or three of which you probably don't think of as marketing. And ask you exactly, I'd like you to write down for yourself today, what, what systems, structures, and processes do I have in these areas? Where am I really strong? And where am I really weak? Okay? So we're okay. going to start with, with attraction. Mm -hmm. When we think about marketing, most people think about attraction. How do I get people to know who I am? How do I get leads in the door? How do I identify new prospects, et cetera? Okay. And so as you think about your attraction systems, I'd like you to just on your piece of paper, draw two columns, what's working and what's not working. Okay. And those two columns are going to be your key to say, as I bring people in, and I want you to write down every activity that you do, what's bringing clients in effectively and what is not bringing clients in effectively? What is actually generating lead flow? Okay, and here's the real key. So you write down each of these, you've got your two columns. If there is a documented system, keyword being documented, written down, put a star next to it. Mm -hmm. If there is not a documented system, put an empty checkbox, so like a box, a little square, 
Leave it, leave it empty. Okay. These checkboxes are where you begin. Okay. Okay. Right. What are the things that I'm doing that are bringing people in? But because I don't have a system, here's what happens. You're on the roller coaster. It works and then it doesn't work and it works and it doesn't work. I have time for this. I don't have time for this. Right. The number one killer for businesses from an attraction perspective is inconsistency. Okay. That inconsistency is often caused by other pieces within the business, especially fulfillment. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. If you can build that system where you say, look, I need to do X amount of effort every single day, every single week. Right. So if you've got an attraction system that is cold call 10 people today, well, I can tell you how successful your attraction is by how many days a week you're making those 10 calls. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the piece that we want to look at is, is there a system? Is there a process? How do I identify who I'm calling? Right. How do I, how do I, um, log that I've made these calls? How do I not call the same people again? Or how do I call the same people again? What's my cadence, et cetera, and so forth. Is there a system? Is there a documented process for how that happens? And, and if you're not sure how to document a process, I'm going to recommend a book. It's a very easy book written by a guy by the name of Sam Carpenter. Uh, he's out of Bend, Oregon called Work the System. Great book. And I love the book because it is so simple and he gives you a model for how the heck do I document a system? Okay. Ah, a okay. Little teaser. You document it however the heck you want to document it. You're in charge. It's not how I tell you to document it. It's not how, how Dr. Phil tells you to document it. It's how do mm -hmm. you decide this is sufficient documentation for me and my team to understand the activity. That could be written. That could be video. That could be audio. I don't care. It's not my business. It's your business. Right? Look at those systems. That's attraction. Okay? Questions that you guys have on attraction? If not, we're going to move on to the next one. Uh, plenty, plenty of questions. I think let's move on to the next one. Okay. The next step is capture. Yep. Okay? Really think about this with me. If I came and I handed you in your business today, a hundred leads, do you have a system in place to capture the details, the critical details, i.e. you must know what the critical details are, but do you have a process in place to capture and store those critical details? I can answer that one. We actually do. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And if you've got that piece, do you have the means by which to segment the leads that you've captured, either by quality or some other necessary sorting feature? We do, but it could, we do, but it's A, it's subjective, uh, B, it's not documented. So C, it definitely needs improving. Perfect. So you guys know, you guys know what you need to do, right? <laughs> Is you've, you've hit the exact, the exact pieces. It's got to be documented. It's got to be objective, right? And here's why it has to be objective, okay? Who should be doing this? Not you. I don't care who does it, but it's not you. Yep. Right? That's the trick here is yep. by creating objective processes, does it, it enables you to pass the work on to a lower dollar worker. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does indeed. It does indeed. Okay. I, I have a friend who runs a multi-million dollar business. He has very few employees. Okay. The employees that he has are absolute high-end uh, subject matter experts. The rest of the team is 5 to $10 an hour workers in the Philippines and India. Mm -hmm. And he gives them really clear documented systems and processes. And then he has other higher dollar, but overseas workers whose sole job it is 
to check the performance of those ones. Yeah. Of, of the other ones. Yeah. Oh, wow. Right. In other words, think about this. Like, like he said this to me and I was like, dude, you are, you are so much smarter than I am. You're telling me that you're getting a $10 worker to check the work of a five of five, $5 workers. And you're doing all of this for a 10th of the price that it would cost for you to get those $5 workers in the United States. Yeah. Brilliant. In other words, all of the, this is not low value work. No. But this is the skill work. Okay. Repetitive, more menial tasks mm -hmm. that do not require specialist information. Right. Right. Have a lower dollar worker do the work. If you as the owner, like, like really think about this. When was the last time you saw the McDonald's franchisor or franchisee mopping the floors in the restaurant? Yeah. That's right. Now, will he do it if he if it's absolutely necessary? Absolutely he will. Because it's his yeah. But you know what he should do first? He should figure out who's doing it, how to train them to do it. And how do I make sure that if they can't, that there's someone else who can't? Someone in the backup. Yep. Yeah. Because right? yep. again, I would rather have if I've got if I've got to get floors mopped, I want to get a a fifteen dollar an hour, ten dollar an hour worker to do that. And if I can't do that, I want to get a fifteen or a twenty dollar an hour worker to do that. And there's going to be a number of steps that happen before I, as the owner, have to step in and do that. Can may mm. I ask a question? Of course. So. This absolutely makes perfect sense what you're saying, but what do you say to those businesses that are starting up, don't have the resources to hire a $10 an hour person because that's, you know, they're just starting up and they're doing absolutely everything themselves. Yep. How do you, how do you address that? You have to change how you think. Okay. First step is change how you think. You have to be okay and realize that for a period of time, you are the $10 worker. Mm -hmm. Many, many, many people that I have seen, um, especially coming out of the corporate world who are used to a system and a structure, do not see themselves as the $10 an hour worker. Mm -hmm. And so they struggle to do the $10 an hour task. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, and so there may be a, many cases where if you're a solopreneur, you're right. You are that ten dollar an hour worker, until you until you can afford to not be. Mm -hmm. If you're the ten dollar an hour worker, that's okay. But you need to make sure that you have set aside time to take off your apron, so to speak, and to put on your owner's hat and ask the question: How is my ten dollar an hour worker performing? Mm -hmm. What system does my ten dollar an hour worker have? One of the traps that gets people caught into hobbies and not businesses is that they never put on the owner's hat to build the business. Mm -hmm. Yep. That said in Michael Gerber language, they're too busy working in the business to work on the business. Work on the business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? But I got to interject here um, to reinforce the point you're making that people coming out of the corporate world, uh, when I lived in, in Africa where conditions were somewhat different and I, I left the corporate world where in those days I had a secretary and a department of marketing department of 40 odd people. So I didn't do any of the $10 work, right? right? Then I started on my own business and fortunately I was able to employ a number of people that did the $10 work. And then I transitioned into farming and I employed 180 people to do the $10 work. And then I came to Canada and I had nothing to start a new business and I had the mindset of, I can't do this because I haven't got a secretary or 100 workers on this. And I had to go out and work as, as a farm worker for a short period to start getting back on my feet. And that cured me of that thinking. <laughs> so that uh, that motivated me to start thinking, yes, I've got to do the $10 an hour work right now, but it's only for a short time until I can afford to get someone else to do that work. And uh, But it's a trap. It, I, I, I hear what you say. It, when you have that background, it's a big trap. It is the other the other side of this trap because because keep in mind there are, there are holes on either side of the road here. Yes. The other yes. Side is well, I'm free. I don't. I, it doesn't cost me any extra to do this, so I might as well. You know what it costs you? 
it costs you your ability to do high value work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Work that only you can do. There are things in our business uh, that, that my business partner, David, is the only person who can do. There are th- things in my business that I'm the only person who can do. And so we actually set up structures and systems to say, what are the things that only I'm going to do? What are the things that only he's going to do? What are the things that one of the two of us need to do? And what are the things that neither of us need to do? And, if, and mm-hmm. what's interesting is uh, me more so than him. I, I get caught into this. Well, I'm just going to do it myself. Okay. And there are definitely times where he's come to me and said, why are you doing this? Even more so, there are activities that I am banned from doing in my own business. <laughs> right? Three years ago, David came to me and he said, Ken, you are no longer allowed to build websites. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I am banning you from building websites. And I said, but, but I can build websites. He goes, I know you can. I need you to be doing other things. But only you can do. Anyone else here can go build a website. You, not anyone else here can go do this or this or this. That's only you. And you're abandoning those tasks to do something that anyone can do. Yep. Yeah. Okay? So no, and, and, and you've got to navigate that very carefully. And if you do not have a partner to hold you accountable, you have to f- either find an outside mentor or hold, figure out a structure for yourself to hold yourself accountable mm-hmm. to those pieces. Yeah. yeah. And you got to be disciplined because I... I done the same thing spent hours building websites when i should have paid someone else to do it because it's fun and it's learning a new skill and all that but it's not something you should as a business owner you should be doing right because because you're actually losing money in doing many of those Mm -hmm. tasks and we don't think of those terms because we think we're saving money that's right Mm -hmm. that's right but we're not we're actually losing money and that's that's the hardest thing is is to say, wait, by doing an activity that's free, I'm losing money because we have a very poor eye, most of us, I know I certainly do, to how an activity translates to money 30 days from now. Mm-hmm. Because in doing the, quote, free activity today, I don't lose the money today. No. But paying someone to do it, I do lose that today. That's right. Mm-hmm. I, I have a, I struggle, just honestly, I struggle to see, well, how is this going to change things in 30 days? Right. Oh, our balance is going to be lower in 30 days because I didn't go do 20 sales calls because I was too busy doing a free activity to save us money. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's where you have to, you have to create balance and you have to think very, very carefully and you need to step back and say, what actually makes sense here versus where are my emotional attachments? Where are my personal attachments? Mm-hmm. Where am I deriving value? Like mm-hmm. I, I was talking to somebody recently and he said, you know, I don't really like doing the online dating thing, uh, but I do like to go onto the online dating apps and be validated by all of these people who swipe right on me. <laughs> okay. You know, like, like the self-awareness of that. How many of us as business owners have that level of self-awareness? I'm yeah. doing this because it validates me, not because it makes me money. Yep. That's, you, you are free to make that choice. But if you're making that choice, that better be a conscious choice and an unconscious choice. Okay. So lead capture, how do you get the information? Where do you put it? How yep. do you segment those people so that we can access the correct people at the correct time when we need to? Okay. From there, our next step is lead nurture. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going to divide nurture into two parts. Okay. The first part is what I call short-term nurture. Mm-hmm. Now, for most small businesses that have a typical sales cycle, professional services, et cetera, and so forth. Okay. If you're in industrial sales, I'm not talking to you right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you're in professional services, most of the time your sales cycle is 30 days or less. Yeah. And short-term nurture is a 30-day or less process so from the day you meet someone to the day that they're going to sign a contract it's going to happen within 30 days if it doesn't they're moving to long-term nurture. Mm-hmm. okay so this short-term nurture is all about people who are ready to move quickly and buy now how do i quickly build trust how do i quickly build authority how do i quickly um, build rapport 
in order to start a business relationship. Long-term nurture, which is typically three months or longer, three months to 21, 25 months, somewhere in there, three months, two years, let's say. This is all about how do I stay in front of people who are a good fit for me, but not necessarily a good fit for me today. They're too big. They're too small. They have the wrong priority. But six months from now, a year from now, 18 months from now, one of those things might change. Okay. I have a, um, a good friend. His name is Eli. Eli is a fantastic marketer and he has a long-term nurture sequence that lasts for five years. Five years. He, he jokes that he could die tomorrow and have a system that keeps making sales for the next five years. Five years. Wow. wow, wow. I don't think it's really a joke. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, it I does. Mean, but that's, that's going to be a big ticket item. It's not. He sells what? a lot of small ticket items. Really? Okay. And here's the trick. None of the nurture there was done on the same day. You know how long okay. it took them to, to create five years worth of nurture? Five years. Five years. Oh. He, he wrote one email a week for five years. Okay. 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 Right? Yeah. And at the end of it, now it's evergreen. Yeah. At the time it was. There's nothing that dictates that this has to be done. I, there's nothing that says I need to do, you know, 18 months of nurture in three days. I've got to get that all written. You can do it in 18 months. You can do it just in time. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. No one's going to know the difference. No. So whether you do it all today or you do it as you go, both are perfectly acceptable. And I want to give you guys just a little insight into how do I talk? How do I talk about what I do for 18 months? Okay. If you got that same piece of paper, flip it over for me. Mm -hmm. I want you to give me a, a box, good size box. Okay. Okay. And in it, the first thing you write is month. Okay. So we'll start with January. So for January, mm -hmm. we're going to have three items. What's the theme? Yeah. Okay. What are the subjects? All right. What's the call to action? Okay, so so Peter, you've got a book on adversity right behind you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, let's say that our theme for January is adversity. Right. Are there four angles on adversity that you could oh, talk yes. about? Easy. Yep. Easy. Hear that, everyone? He said easy. Right. Mm -hmm. You then talk about those four things. That's one email a week. You have the same call to action. Here's what I want you to do in light of this. And you've just done a full month's worth of nurture. Absolutely. Email a week. And you know what? Knowing how much you know about adversity, maybe you could write eight things. And that's mm -hmm. two emails a week. And that would be easy as well. Mm -hmm. And then next month, we're going to choose a different subject or, or a, a different theme. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to start with four subjects. And you know what? You may find, you know what? For this month... I actually need to write six or eight or 10 because I have so much to say on this topic, right? By breaking it down into chunks in this fashion, and you just repeat that for the entire year, okay? Theme, subjects, call to action. Theme, subjects, call to action. You've got your long-term nurture done. Absolutely, absolutely. And you can link that, those weak emails, you can link to other resources without diluting the effect of the call to action. So you can you can have you can expand on it in a blog post or a video or, or whatever, right? All of them. Not, and by the way, nothing says that your your long term nurture has to be email. Could it no. be physical mail? Could it be videos mm -hmm. you send out? Like there's all kinds of ways you can do this. Don't get trapped in the well this has to be an email sequence thing. It doesn't. Okay. One other point that I'll make about long-term nurture is this. You must, you must, as you're building your long-term nurture, ask yourself one very critical question. 
how do I pull people out of my long-term nurture and put them back into my sales process? Mm -hmm. If all you do is build a long-term nurture sequence with a series of calls to action with no intent to ever say, oh, they've done these things. It's time to put them back in the selling process. You've missed the point of long-term nurture. Yeah. So what are the conditions that would occur that would allow you to push them back into a sales process? Oddly enough, our next step after long-term nurture is your sales process. Mm. Okay. And much like you did with this first step, let's go through and ask a couple of critical questions. Do we have a documented sales process? And by this, what I mean is there are stages or steps where you know I need to get them to say yes to this and then yes to this and then yes to this. And if they say yes to all of those things, they will then buy. Now that could happen in a one call close. That could happen over a series of emails. That could happen over the course of a website. That could happen in a lot, a lot of ways. But fundamentally, let's let's go back to the definition of what sales is. S selling is the persuasion to a belief or idea. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what beliefs or ideas you are persuading people to, you are not selling. At best, you're guessing and pitching. Yep. Yeah. And so step back and ask, what are the beliefs that someone has to have in order for this to make sense? Whatever I'm selling, what do they need to believe about themselves, about me, about the product, about the results they're going to get? And if you know those things, you can craft a sales process. Mm -hmm. You can craft a process that says, I'm going to persuade them that I'm the right vendor, that their problem is as big or bigger than they think the solution will give them re the results that they want etc there's a lot more we can touch on that but but uh, let's just kind of keep it simple mm -hmm. so, yes. that makes a lot of sense uh, and it's so important to to hear this from people like yourself because again we get we get consumed by the day-to-day -day working in the business and uh, we need these reminders all the time. Mm -hmm. So so at this point, most people say to me, Ken, I just sold the client. What other marketing can there be? And if Plenty. you're thinking that, I would like to encourage you to realize that marketing is not simply the process of getting someone ready to buy not that marketing is much larger than that because the goal of marketing at least as i see it is to take someone who does not know you mm -hmm. over the course of time and events turn them into someone who is an absolute raving fan mm -hmm. or the great peter shankman someone who is a zombie loyalist yeah right okay they're going to do whatever you say to do because they are so loyal to you and they're going to do it without thinking. Right. And they won't consider anybody else because they know you to be the expert that you are. Exactly. Okay. Right. Okay. But not just the expert. They have the relationship. This is the, the people who queue up in freezing cold outside an Apple store to get the latest iPhone. Right. right. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so, so think about this for a second. Have you ever had an experience where you go and buy something from somebody and they treat you like garbage as soon as they get your money? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. How do you feel about those people? Not very good. No, and I wouldn't be buying from them again. <laughs> so so here, here's the thing. Most business owners, they think of the first sale. Mm-hmm the wedding yep. instead of what it really is the first date yep okay your onboarding process the process by which somebody transitions from i've paid you money to i've gotten my first result that onboarding process 
is one of your most central marketing processes. If you do not make people feel like they are incredibly valuable, they will look somewhere else. And so simply asked, what is your onboarding process and what is it designed to make people feel? Do you know? Have you considered? More than that, how can we make the process easier for them? And I, I'm going to give kind of a simple example. Mm -hmm. uh, here in the Pacific Northwest, we have a, a large uh, local chain, right? They now cover a lot of states. Um, but when I was a kid, they were very local. A uh, chain called Les Schwab Tires. Okay? And it used to be that you would drive into a Les Schwab Tires parking lot and an attendant would literally come running over to your car. And they would greet you as you were stepping out or they would open your door for you. Wow. How can I serve you today? Welcome to Les Schwab. And they would walk you in. And they would get your information. And then they would take you to the waiting room where they have hot coffee and popcorn and TVs, right? And they would get your stuff done while you waited. Or they would say, if you're going to come back, we'll give you a call at this time, right? You should be done by here, here, and here. And you were. Mm -hmm. They had a process by which to take someone from, I've pulled into the parking lot. By the way, nobody pulls into the parking lot of a car of a tire shop to not buy tires. No, you're right. <laughs> like I'm not showing up here and then walking away with no tires if they've got the inventory that I intend to buy. Mm -hmm. And frankly, how many of us truly know enough about tires to know what we want to buy? It's a very small segment, right? So they know the sale has been made. Now it's just a question of how do we make sure that they feel valued through the process? And so ask yourself, what is my onboarding process? How does my customer feel? And what can I do to make this process even easier for them? Okay. We, we use a system called cardsforclients.com. And we have welcome boxes that go out to every new client. And in that welcome box, it's an automated process. It has a mug with their name on it. Mm-hmm. And then a rotating number of other small gifts. Hmm. But it, all of them have a prepared group mug with their name on it. Wow. Okay. And it comes in a nice box. And you know what? Everybody who gets this calls me and says, thank you so much. And then you yeah. see them on calls and they've got, they're drinking out of the mug. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're talking to you about this cup. And the point is not we're doing this to manipulate them. We're doing this because it's a small token of us saying, we actually care about you as a person. Mm -hmm. We uh, care about you as a person. Okay. That's onboarding. Yeah. Right. yeah. Or what we like to call transition with ease. Mm -hmm. From there, our next step is what we call surprise, delight, and wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. surprise if, delight and wow surprise delight and wow okay okay step one if i come to you and um what do i have around here okay uh these are uh attachments for my weed eater their weed eater string okay yeah yeah if i come to you to buy one of these and you say i've got a 10 pack for 25 dollars okay and I say, great. And I give you my $25 and you give me 10 of them. You have not surprised me. You have not delighted me. You have not wowed right. me. You've done what you said you were going to do. Okay. Now, yep. as a business, you must, to be ethical and honest, do what you say you're going to do. Do not confuse doing what you say you're going to do with delighting your customer. Okay. My wife orders this uh, this hair refresher spray because she has curly hair. Okay, from a place called Which I Love Your Hair, and uh, the lady who runs the the shop, her name is Bridget. And in every box, 
she adds in uh, their their motto is crystals, not chemicals. They use like natural quartz from their property mm-hmm. to um, to emulsify the liquid. She puts an extra handful of quartz uh, or whatever rocks it is in the box, and then she also always includes a a costume piece of jewelry a necklace wow oh nice <laughs> uh bracelet etc yeah okay well some years ago my wife's beloved dog died and she posted this on instagram and bridget saw it and less than a week later courtney gets a package in the mail with a condolence note from bridget with a dog charm bracelet wow and a full package of of which I love your hair, hair things. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's that is. Surprising. Oh, for sure. My goodness. That's surprising. It's meaningfully surprising, unexpected, right? Mm-hmm. It's delightful because you can surprise people without delighting them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You can delight them without surprising them, right? Yeah. Uh, when I was a kid, used to run a free beef promotion. If you come by tires, they're going to give you, I think it was 20 pounds of frozen beef. True wow. story. So <laughs> the customer delight without surprise because you know that you're going to get this. Right? Yeah. But there's also wow. Mm-hmm. And the first to serve the third with the aim being, how is it that you make that customer feel like you care about them? And I know that there are experiences that you guys have Mm -hmm. and you who are listening have where someone in a business has made you feel valuable. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, when we spoke before, I told you about Leatherman, Um, you know, the the way that they go the extra mile uh, 15 years after that product was purchased, right? And it's not a big ticket item. Unbelievable. That piece when you put that into your business is the bedrock on which you build customer relations. Mm-hmm. Not something you do one time any more than having a conversation with your friend, spouse, etc., is something you do one time. Mm-hmm. Right. But by creating a culture where you are over delivering a culture where you are communicating consistently, we care about you as a customer as a person you now have the foundation for the last two steps mm-hmm. which are upsell mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. That, that place that treated you really well i'm guessing if leatherman sent you an offer for a more expensive knife a hundred hundred and fifty dollar knife you would feel a lot more confident in buying that oh absolutely yeah and as i said before if i want to buy one for a, a relative as a present there's only one brand i'm going to buy huh? right so that's upsell yeah. Right. And, yeah. and just like we talked about sales process, right? Everything else. Is there a process by which we structure our upsell? Right. If you mm-hmm. sell them, hey, if I sell them, you know, this this little packet of string, what's the other things that they should sell me with this? Right. Yes. You know who's yes. the master of this? If you if you're unclear as to what I'm talking about, the master of this is Amazon. Right. Yeah. Oh yes. Right. Okay? Oh. People who buy yeah. this also bought. Yeah. Yes. Right. It's structurally built in. In your business, what's the next sale that they need or mm-hmm. should get mm-hmm. based upon what they've already purchased? And do you have a roadmap to sell them the next things? If you don't, well, that's a serious problem. Because you do not yeah. have a method by which you're you're taking the value that you're building in your onboarding process and your surprise delight and wow processes and then moving that into how do i do how do i extract more money from them how do i serve them more and then most importantly how do i get referrals from them yes okay and so everybody when i talk about marketing i hear this a lot i don't need marketing we work solely off referrals okay and i'd like you guys to consider a question you who are listening, Kathleen, Peter, you guys consider this too. Do you have a systematic documented process by which you extract referrals from every customer? 
We can answer, yes, we do. We just worked on in refining that in the last week, and we think we've got it right. Hey, Kathleen? Well, yes. We're talking about testimonials, I think, there, Peter, but yeah. Well, okay, okay. Sorry, testimonials. I'm getting lost. And, I, and I do. I don't mean testimonials here. I mean no. I know you do. Mm -hmm. okay? And here, here's why this is so important. For most of us, referrals just happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. Crazy, crazy thought. What if you put into your contracts a required number of annual referrals? If you had a great onboarding system, you had a great surprise, delight, and wow system, you do what you're going to say you're going to do. Is that a burden for them? No, no. probably not. Probably not. No. Right? Yeah, you can, good, you, good point. you can have interesting, creative ways by which you require referrals. There are, are businesses out there yeah. that in order to work with them, they require referrals. Yeah. Okay. Or they will fire you as a client. Yeah. Okay. That works if you've got a process to get them to the point where they're ready to do so. And then you have a process by which you then extract those referrals. Mm -hmm. right. So if you and I were to go join like a BNI chapter, that's right. You have to I do. Yeah. Thinking of BNI, they would say there's a certain number of actions you must take or you're out. That's mm -hmm. right. Okay. Well, you know what? If you want to work with us, there's a certain number of actions you've got to take or you're out. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because there must be a level of equality in the give and take within every relationship. If you're going to truly over-deliver, you're going to go above and beyond, you're going to go the extra mile. It only makes sense for you to work with clients who are willing to do the same. Do the same. Right. And, and I highly recommend that you are upfront with clients about this. Mm -hmm. I want you to know, and, and I don't typically do this in the sales process necessarily. I do this post-sale most often. Mm -hmm. I want you to know that we work very differently. We're going to take care of you and do things for you in ways that most other people do not. Okay. However, that's going to require some things from you. And these are the things that's going to require from you. Hmm. That that as a function transitions your business. Yeah. Because be. now, think about this. If you knew for every client I have, I get an average of three referrals a year and I close 66% of those. So for every client I get, I get two more. Two, two more. Yeah. Well, you and I would be very darn happy with that. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah, so very good. Asking how can I structurally do this? The one thing I'll add is I tend to tend to not universally, but tend to dislike paying customers money, cash for referrals. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Any people think this is a great thing? I personally tend to dislike it. Because I dislike it for the same reason I don't pay my friends if I have to move. I've got to move houses and you're going to come help me move and load the house. I'm not writing you a check mm -hmm. because I pay you in other currency in relational capital. Right. Same thing I believe happens in business. Mm -hmm. And so as we look at kind of the, the structure and system of marketing that takes us from how do we attract to how do we extract referrals? The question is, to what degree are these systems in place, documented, and then to what extent do we review and improve them? Mm -hmm. That's a big one. Phase one is getting them, right? And typically phase two, which runs parallel with phase one, you're doing it at the same time is, we're improving these. We're figuring out where does this not work and how do I fix it? It's not just, mm -hmm. hey, let's go throw this all down. Let's go write everything. And now it is uh, Moses's tablets from the mountain. We're not going to touch them, no. right? No, these things get changed and modified as our customers change, as our business changes, as the market changes. 
as we grow and develop, we learn more and more. Absolutely. And, and there's ex other external influence, influences, politics, uh, legislation, uh, natural disasters, all sorts of things change, mean that we Absolutely. need to review these all the time. Yep. And so, so as we look at marketing and we talk about marketing systems, marketing process, this is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Right. Once this is in place, your business will, by necessity, scale. Yeah. Right. Because you have the necessary building blocks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have the necessary preconditions for that to occur. Mm -hmm. That's it. I, I, I wish it were more complicated than that. No, <laughs> that, that is excellent. Excellent. Absolutely. But uh, Ken, before we let you go, you're in the process of writing a book, are you not? Yes. Okay, you yep. want to do, would you like to share what that's about? Yeah. So we are working on a a book right now tentatively i think we're, we're we're thinking about the title being um something around the indoctrin indoctrination into marketing strategy okay mm. and the idea of it is most business owners most marketers don't understand what we mean when we say organizational strategy much less marketing strategy and so we want to we want to start to demystify strategy, and we want to make strategy mm -hmm. a central point for organizational growth. And so, really looking at how can you, as an organization, start to move in a strategy first perspective. And okay. so we were going to go with strategy first as a book title, but it was already taken. So mm -hmm. we're right. uh, we're we're still working on that. But but that's a lot of the stuff that we talked about today are kind of some of the the concepts therein. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're going to get even deeper with more examples and and hopefully with uh, some better content to, to really edit down this to make it quick, mm -hmm. to make it easily understandable. And most importantly, and th this is the thing I think that, that we're spending a lot of time on. How do we make this implementable quickly mm -hmm. and easily by a business owner? Right, right. I'm tired, of, okay. I'm tired of reading books with great ideas that I can't execute. Yeah. Right. How do we give them the ability to understand how do I start the execution process? And very good. When will pe people be able to buy this book? Hopefully before the end of the year. Maybe. Oh, very good. Wonderful. Maybe. We will watch out for that. Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to let you guys know and we'll, yeah. we'll get some comments out to y'all. Um, our last book we wrote in about three, three and a half months. And so hopefully. Uh, we're done here uh, before the end of the year. Good. I'd excellent. We're done before the end of the year. Now, I've got something important for our viewers and listeners who've been listening to you, your words of wisdom and your expertise. Uh, and uh, there's some real jewels in what Ken's been telling us today. You need to explain to them how they can benefit from this directly, even before your book's available, because you don't deal directly with business owners, right? You 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 license no. your systems out. So what's your advice to someone who wants to learn more of what you've yeah. been doing of your work? Absolutely. If if this is, if what we've been talking about today is interesting to you, um, we do not work directly with business owners, which is why I'm so happy to kind of give this all away. Uh, but we do have a number of licensees, both in the U.S. and Canada. Um, we have a couple of, of them in Calgary, in fact. Mm. Um, we would love to make some introductions and, and let you guys meet some of these business owner, uh, business owners and, and marketers who are would love to talk about how they can serve you guys and how they can help really transform uh, your business, your life, and your family for generations to come. And the best way people could do that, business owners could do that, is to get onto your website. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Feel free to get onto our website, uh, thepreparedgroup.com, or because I know this is private, you're not going to make it all public. No. Uh, my personal email is ken at thepreparedgroup.com. K E N at thepreparedgroup.com. Shoot me an email. I'm more than happy to make some personal introductions, um, figure out what you need, figure out what's going to make the most sense for y'all. Excellent. That's very valuable. Thank you very much, Ken. 
Pam, what an honor it has been to have you on our show once again. Yeah. It's uh, I'm just absorbing all the information that you've just just run through. And uh, I think I'm going to rewatch this interview just to listen to those words once again. But thank you right. so very, very much Excellent. for being on our show. I, I love being here. You guys are fantastic. I love what you guys do. Thank you. Um, definitely send people over to the podcast pretty constantly. So thank you for having us once again. Excellent. Thanks, Kane. Thank you, Ken. And we welcome you all of your suggestions for the type of expert guests you'd like to see on our show. If um, you have any suggestions, you, we would love to hear from you. And uh, don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Okay, goodbye.